You may be seated. Again, today we have a selection of brief texts related to our sermon theme, printed there on page 9 in your bulletin. You will quickly see the the theme. Proverbs 9, whoever corrects a scoffer gets to himself abuse, and he reproves a wicked man and incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Proverbs 10, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. Proverbs 12, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Proverbs 14, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Proverbs 15, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. From Proverbs 17, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. And from Proverbs 26, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. This is the word of the Lord. And our Father, as ever, we ask you to send the Spirit to work on us as we hear, and perhaps even more, Lord, as we apply this word in Jesus' good name. Amen. So we're working through this series called uh, New, uh, sorry, uh, True Humanity, uh, Mere Humanity, excuse me, and the idea of the series is basically this, that if God made human beings to in his own image, right, the Bible says. You know this verse, this verse well in, in Genesis. That God made man in his own image, and that means that God made our humanity to mirror him, right? To, to, to mirror God's character, to mirror God's glory, and, and to, to mirror his rule in the world. Like, that's what, we're, that's what we're for. We're to be mirrors of God, to, to look like him in the world. That's what he made humans to, to do and to be. Well, that means that all of our humanness, then all of it, really, really matters. Not just some of it, not just the party that's going to, quote-unquote, go to heaven someday. Like, your whole humanity really matters because all of it's supposed to mirror God. All of it's supposed to image Him. And Jesus is saving and restoring all of our humanity. And so we're trying to explore humanity. All of it. And I've plucked, others could be selected, but I've plucked 12 pieces, I've called them, from the game board of human life. And we're just walking through these pieces of our humanity, and we're trying to hear the Word of God about each of these. And then we're turning from the Word of God to the world that God has made and tr- thinking about how it, what it looks like to live as humans in the, in the world, uh, each of these pieces of our humanity. And we're going to turn today now to, some, to three characters, three kinds of human. I mean, if, if humanity and human life is a game board, we've moved here from the lead pipe and the revolver in the conservatory to Professor Plum and Mrs. Peacock, all right? We're, we're going, because these are like, these are... These characters are kind of types of, recognizable types of people. Uh, Maybe some of you who are into this would call them archetypes. These are people who, they're not actual like people who live somewhere, but they are, they're recognizable types of people who play recognizable roles in the drama of human social life, human sociality, right? You You will meet these characters. You might be one of these characters. And the first we're going to look at today, as we look at these pieces of our humanity, the first character we're going to talk about is, obviously, from what I read, the fool. The fool. And I want to begin today by just talking about the challenge of the fool. Not the challenge to the fool, but the challenge of the fool. And I want to start with an odd little detail 
there in the Proverbs 10 reading, the second one in your, in your bulletin, it opens by saying, Proverbs 10, 23, that doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. Now, here comes the challenge of a fool. There is something in the fool of the prankster. Doing wrong is like a big joke to a fool. And when you meet a fool, there's a little bit of, the, there's a kind of a prankster in foolery. You, you, you know, there's a reason why the court jesters, back in the days of kings, when kings had court jesters, they were called fools. We talk about fooling around. There's something kind of unserious about the fool, even mischievous. My, my, grand, my grandpa Tom was just a delightful man. He had a fantastic sense of humor. And he was always pulling gags and pranks on people, you know, sticking cheese with the wrapper still on it in their sandwiches and that sort of thing. And he said often, he said, you know, when I was a boy, I was always playing the fool. And if you knew Grandpa Tom, you knew that was quite likely. You could totally see him as the class clown. The fool, to put it a little more strongly, the fool is the disruptor. You could even put it more strongly, the fool is the bringer of chaos. Because if you think about human society, it has often been envisioned, and very helpfully so, as a wheel. And every wheel that's functional has a hub. And all human societies, they have a hub, they have a center, because there are things in a society that are known. There are certain certainties that we know. And there's a certain way that things are done. There's order here. The society is ordered by that hub. The hub is the order and the known. But, of course, there are many different spokes in a, you know, a society. It gets more complex, a lot of spokes that fan out from that hub. But eventually you begin to approach the rim, the circumference, the walls of the city, the walls of the polis, as the, Greeks, the Greek word for the city. And beyond the rim of the wheel, beyond the walls of the city, of course, that is the realm of the unknown. That is the wild That is where things are very disordered. And if you think that's a silly way of thinking, I bet you locked your doors at night. And the reason is because you want to know who's under your roof after hours. Your, Your home has a certain rim around it, and you want that rim to stick, and you don't want just anything from the wild, as it were, coming into your society. But if you think about society this way, you can immediately realize that it's not always completely obvious whether things are better closer to the hub or closer to the rim. Because yes, the hub, it's comfortable. Things are known at the hub. Things are ordered at the hub. But of course, if you think about it, you know, growth, life is so disorderly, isn't it? I mean, plants, for example, just break up concrete. They will take a city down eventually, but it's because they're alive, you know, they, they, they're just full of this irrepressible, disorderly thing. I mean, you know, you can, you can map a city built of concrete, and you can map a garden, but everything in that garden is trying to get outside of what you've mapped <laughs> all the time. Life is disorderly, and life is good. Progress disrupts. Progress, the, the movement of things to, 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 to improve, it always means that established things are being shaken up. Is that a bad thing? New things, fresh things, they always disturb Children, you know, we're, we're, we're living in a sad, pathetic little society now that doesn't, where lots and lots of people have decided they don't want to have children. Why? Because they're comfortable. 
That's why. And anyone who's ever had a child knows children are uncomfortable because they're alive. That's why they're awesome. They might kill you, they're so disruptive, but they're awesome. So it's not always obvious, is the hub better or is the rim better? And the reality is sometimes the, the center, the hub of a society might really be wrong. You could have ordered oppression. You could have ordered dis injustice. Or at the very least, that hub might need to adapt because this wheel now is in a very different context than 80 years ago. And that's why humor, the comedians of society, the jokesters, the fools... They are often just flipping tables where people have gotten way, way too sure of themselves and are taking themselves way too seriously. There's a reason why we call com comedians irreverent, because they just refuse to reverence all that stuff in the hub. That's just, that's everyone who knows, knows that's how it's supposed to be. Well, the comedian says, we'll just flip that over. Are fools always bad? What if the fool's just a dissenter? What if the fool's a prophet? What if the fool's a savior? Was Jesus a fool? Depends who you ask. Now, in biblical terms, the moral problem with the fool is not that he challenges a social center. It's not that he challenges the status quo. The moral problem with the fool is that he replaces that hub with himself. That's the problem of the fool. He becomes the standard by which things are judged. So instead of what the hub says, he judges what he says, and that becomes the standard. He who trusts in his own mind, the Proverbs says, is a fool. You heard a couple of times in the readings that we just read, the fool is wise in his own eyes. Proverbs 12, 15, you see it there. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, and there you see it. There's the standard. The fool says, I, I will be the judge. My mind is what I trust. My heart, my feelings. The fool is not a learner, except maybe from those who share his folly. He's not a learner. He doesn't listen. Now, there's a, there, there's a spectrum of fools in the Bible. If you've read through Proverbs, I'm sure you've noticed this. We see them here in our short re readings. On, on one end of the spectrum, there's the fool who just has not, has, not, has not learned. It's not so much that he refuses to learn. He has not yet learned as he should. This is the fool that the Bible calls the simple. The simple. This is a person who believes, he, he, he knows very little, and so he believes very much. You notice the description of the simple there in uh, Proverbs 14, 15. The simple believes everything because he doesn't know enough to know what to believe. He has not yet learned as he should, and so he's foolish because he's just ignorant. He's not learned as he should. It's probably not too strong to call this kind of fool stupid. I know it's kind of a harsh word, but there's a stupidity, an ignorance, a silliness. I love Derek Kidner's description. He says the empty-headed will end up wrong-headed. If you have an empty head, you'll end up with a wrong head because you don't have anything really in your head that is able to discern what is what is good from what isn't. And so that's the simple at one end of the fool spectrum, but then we move to the middle, and in the middle, uh, there's a different, very different kind of fool. This is not a fool who has not, has not learned what he should have learned. This is a fool who refuses to learn. This is maybe because of just, he's a sluggard, he's slothful, he's too much effort to learn. I don't have, I don't have, I just don't have desire because it would take work, and so he just refuses to learn. But more often, it's the stubborn. The description there in Proverbs 15, 5, the fool despises his father's instruction. Lots of young people end up being this kind of fool. They just, they despise 
what their parents say. They just don't want to learn from their parents because they don't think they have anything to learn from their parents in many cases. Proverbs 17.10 shows the stubbornness of a fool, this kind of fool. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding. So you say a word of rebuke to a man of understanding, that will have more effect than if you literally climbed on top of a fool and tried to pound wisdom into him. He just will not receive it. That's the, that's the fool in the middle. And at the far end of the fool spectrum, this is the worst, is the fool, it's not just that he refuses to learn. This fool attacks those who try to teach. This is not the simple or the stubborn. This is the scoffer. You notice there in the very first reading, whoever corrects a scoffer will get injuries. You'll be abused if you try to rebuke a scoffer. He will hate you. That's the description at that far end. And this is the spectrum of fools. So, but here's the problem. So if the idea that everybody is a hub, everybody is their own hub, right? That's the essence of folly. That, is, that brings ruin individually and socially. We're back to the challenge of the fool, though. Is, is the alternative to that just to defer then to the existing hubs? You know, you just listen and mind those who know, who really know. Just blindly, passively follow those who really know. Is that, is that, is that the alternative? Is it, is it true that Father always knows best? Is that always true? Is the answer to folly just conform to the current configuration? You know, stick with the traditions of men, stick with the status quo. This is the challenge of the fool. But now let's talk about the challenge to the fool. If that's the challenge of the fool, let's think about the challenge to the fool. The biblical challenge to fools is not just a call to social deference. The Bible does not speak to fools and say, just simply follow what mom and dad or whatever other social authorities say. It's interesting as you open up Proverbs and you're reading the first nine chapters where there's a father speaking to his son, but it's not just the voice of a father speaking to his son. Because that would be, I guess, in the worst possible sense, that would just be patriarchal, wouldn't it? It would just be, I'm older, therefore you must listen to me. It is a father's voice, but it is a father's voice pointing his son to the voice of God. It is a father appealing to his son, listen, my son, to the word of God, personified as Lady Wisdom. And so as you, as you work through Proverbs and, and other places in the Bible, you realize very quickly that the beginning, the foundation the architectural base of wisdom is definitely not trusting yourself, but nor is it just trusting society. It is to fear the Lord. It is to know God and to listen to his voice. And that's why, as many of you are finding, I'm sure as we found, parenting that only ever says, you just do what I say because I say it, will never produce wisdom. If that's your main thing with your kids, you just do what I say because I say it, you will never produce wise children. Wise parenting is always pointing to the voice of God, to the fear of the Lord. Or maybe to say this another way, what a fool needs most basically, and what will change the heart of a fool, because nothing else can, is the challenge of transcendence. That's what I'm basically saying here. The, the challenge to the fool is, first of all, a challenge of transcendence, by, that, by which I mean that which is above and beyond all of us. Because the Bible issues this challenge of transcendence to, to fools. There is a divine order be above and beyond the social order. Are you with me? There are social orders. You're living in one. You're living in multiple social orders. But there is a divine order above and beyond that social order, above and beyond the wheel. Now, if you think about that, because that divine order of things is a divine order, 
it is actually possible to build social orders based on it. There's a reason why we sometimes call human societies microcosms. They are little cosmoses. God has ordered the universe. He has created a world full of, that things work a certain way because they are ordered. And ordered human societies are a mirror of the order of God's creation. And so because that order of God is a divine order, it is possible to have order in our human societies and lives. But because it is a divine order, because it's above and beyond all the wheels and all the individuals who live in those wheels, you can challenge the social order from that divine order. There is, as it were, an ideal city from which you can challenge the actual city that you're living in because none of these cities on earth is, in fact, God's heavenly city, right? So there's a divine order above and beyond all things. Now, what I'm saying just now, this is something that has been in many, many ancient wisdom traditions throughout the world, but it was in Israel in particular. It was in Israel that the living God revealed something so very important. The living God revealed to Israel in her history, that that transcendent order, that divine order above and beyond all things, beyond all individuals, above all societies, it is not just a lot of impersonal cosmic laws and forces, you know, karma, you know, just sort of the impersonal, even physical laws of the universe doing their thing. God revealed to Israel that that wisdom, those ideas, those forms, we might say with Plato, that order that framed the cosmos as a giant cosmic house for God's creatures, that wisdom is personal. It's not just impersonal cosmic forces and laws. It is, a, it is the personal God, the self-revealing God. And Israel began to learn that that source and center of all things is the God who covenants in love with his creatures. The one who orders that divine order, he loves his creatures. He forms his creatures. He talks to his creatures. He pursues them. He redeems them. He gives his son for them. He claims them. He owns them. He blesses them. He's in a relationship with them. He is the Father. The Father. Capital T, Father. Whose wisdom, and this is so very interesting, the wisdom of the Father, God who is the Father of all creatures and the Father of His people Israel through redeeming them to be His own, that Father, His wisdom speaks as a mother. I do find the constant harping on the Bible as this awful oppressive patriarchal document to be such, just such consummate balderdash. God's wisdom speaks as a mother, as a lady to her children. Lady Wisdom, who builds a home, builds a kingdom for her children, teaches them how to live in it, how to thrive in it, how to rule in it. That's how the wisdom of the Father speaks, like a mother who has built a home and is teaching her children how to live and thrive and rule in this home. That's the transcendent covenantal horizon within which then there can be a much more practical on-the-ground challenge to the fool, and that's the challenge of training. So because there's the transcendent challenge of God himself, there can be the much more earthy challenge of training. Because there's a divine order, parents, teachers, elders, rulers, etc., can train the fool 
on the basis of that transcendent horizon. And so what you are doing when you come to those who need to be trained, whether they're just simple young fools who just need to be taught wisdom, or they are even scoffers or stubborn fools, what you are saying to the fool as an elder of some kind is not, you just need to know what I know. You just need to do what we've done. You just need to stick with the status quo. But rather, the voice of those who know God in the divine order of things, their word to the fool, whether, or, or just the ignorant, just those who need to learn, is, is, is a, it's an invitation of love. It's come here what God has spoken and done before you were even born. There's this whole thing God is doing. It was here before you got here. Come hear what God has spoken before you were even here. Come see, come see the works of the Lord before you even arrived. Come learn what your fathers and mothers have learned as they've listened to God's word before you. They've lived in God's world before you. And now you must do the same. Hear what they have heard from God. See what they have experienced with God as you continue listening to God and experiencing with God in your time. So on one hand, the challenge of transcendence to the fool is you were born into God's reality. You were born into it. You, you, the story was here before you. You are born into something that's been happening for a long, long time. You are born into purposes that existed in eternity before there even was a world. You, you are born into the order of things. You are born into a kingdom. That's the transcendent challenge. And on the basis of that, you and I, son, were born into this. <laughs> it preexists us. It will long outlive us. That transcendent challenge enables the challenge of training. He'll just say to those who are coming after, so here's what our fathers have learned. Here's what our mothers have learned. Flawed creatures that they are. And now let's learn together. And in time you will teach us as you listen to God and study his world. And this is a direct challenge to the stupidity, the foolishness of this whole idea in our modern time of self-constructing. I am what I choose. It's just demonstrably false. To be born is already to be a part of something. To be born is already to be in the story, already to be in the purposes, already to be in kingdom things that are happening. And so you can't even answer the question, who am I? As Sven Brinkman has pointed out, and I love this, he says you can't even really talk about who am I before you've asked a much more fundamental question. What am I a part of? What am I a part of? That is the question of wisdom. And so, in the spirit of training, I want to close today by giving you seven ways not to be a fool. Based on what I've just said, the challenge of the fool, the challenge to the fool, the transcendent challenge, the training challenge, here's the training challenge. In particular, seven ways not to be a fool in no particular order. And I'm, I already heard the collective gasp. Seven, I will be here till three. No, I will hurry. Here we go. Seven ways not to be a fool based on what I've just said. Number one, I hope those of you who are young will listen especially to this because this is for you, as well as those of us who are older. Number one, question the new as much as the old. Question the new as much as the old. It is instinctive to ask, why should I accept what's old? Because it's old. Because it's dated. Because it was then. That's instinctive. You have to learn how to ask why should I accept what's new? Why should I accept what's new? Who says this is better? Who says I need this and not that? Who says? 
The standard for judging a thing is not when it occurs in history. It is not automatically better because it's old or because it's new, although if it's old, at least it stood the test of time. But the standard for judging something is not when it occurs in history. The standard for judging something is how it serves God's purposes in history. That's the standard. And there might be things new or old that do serve God's purposes in history, but question the new as much as the old. Second way not to be a fool. Don't let learning how blind you to knowing why. We are living in a technological age. Everything's about how to do things better, more efficiently, more whatever. I've quoted Albert Einstein to you before. He said, I think our age is characterized by a perfection of means and a confusion of goals. We are perfecting the means to do things. We don't know why. We don't know what the goal is. And as you're growing up in an age when everything is about the how, don't forget to forcibly bring before your mind that question, why does this even exist? Why did God make this thing? Why, why do I exist? Why did people make this thing? What's it for? Where are we going with this? What's the purpose in using this? What's the purpose in, in possessing this? What's the purpose in the marketing of this? Because the possible, beloved, the possible cannot be the measure of the good. I think we are living in a generation that has begun to think that the possible is the measure of the good. That, that w- if we can do something and we can do it better, therefore that must mean we're making progress. But toward what? What is the purpose and aim and end of these things? And if you really think that question through, why, what's it for, what's the purpose, you will find, this could be another sermon, I won't preach it now, you will find eventually that question will lead you to Christ himself because you will find that ultimately the only way to answer the why of things is God's story, God's plan, God's kingdom. All things were made by Christ and for him. And in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Graham Goldsworthy puts this so powerfully. Let me just read a little bit from his book, Gospel and Wisdom. Now listen carefully. This is wisdom. He says, Wisdom presents creation as God's perfectly decreed order. It places man within a special relationship to that order as the unique creature of God whose task it is to take up God's command to have dominion. He is to engage the world in his doing and his thinking. He's to investigate, analyze, reason, invent, and be creative within the bounds of his creatureliness. To be able to do this, he must understand the meaning of the universe as it's revealed in God's prophetic word and saving action. Let me say that again. To do those works of wisdom, man must understand the meaning of the universe as it's revealed in God's prophetic word and saving action. Wisdom highlights the fact that man, the sinner, Living in a world of distorted relationships is nevertheless responsible to live before God. His task is to understand life within the dynamic order which moves toward the consummation of God's redemptive plan. That's the task, to understand life within God's order moving towards God's plan. If from the scientific point of view, the meaning of the universe can only be guessed at, the fear of the Lord provides the answer. It's the Father's creation. As he made all things good, so he's recreating all things according to a purpose known to us only through Christ. The why will lead you to Christ. Third way not to be a fool. Study the world as well as the word. There's a very blinkered biblicism in a lot of Christianity today that thinks all you need is the Bible to be wise. 
Can I just tell you something? I have met some people who know a lot about the Bible and they are fools because they have studied a lot of Bible data. They have a sort of encyclopedic knowledge of the Bible, but they really don't understand the world and how the world works, and so they don't know how to even apply the Bible wisely in the world. Sometimes they just make an absolute mess of things using Bible verses. It is true, sola scriptura, the Bible alone, shows us how to be reconciled to God. There is no other religion or philosophy or certainly studying nature that can show you how to be reconciled to God that is only through God's revealed word pointing us to Jesus Christ and him crucified. But the Bible pointedly does not tell us everything about the world in which it calls us to serve God. Go to the ant, sluggard, learn her ways and be wise. If you don't spend time studying the world, your Bible knowledge can actually end up going to your head in a very strange way because the Bible will show you how to reconcile to God and then go out and live in his world because that's where we learn a great deal of wisdom. Study the world as well as the word. Fourth way not to be a fool. Very challenging in our time. Think generationally. Think generationally. Ask yourself, young, young Christians, older Christians for that matter, ask yourself often, who's ahead of me? And what does that mean for our relationship? Should I spend some time with those people to find out how they got to be ahead of me? What they've learned out there on the road ahead of me? And also be constantly asking yourself, who's, who's coming behind me? And what's that mean for our relationship? What do I owe to them to help them along in their travels behind me? Because, beloved, you're a blip. You're a little tiny blip. You are a vapor that's going to be gone. God's going to blow on it. You'll be gone. You'll be, you're, you won't even be remembered. That's true for me. And if you want your life to have deep, rich, lasting meaning, you cannot make it all about you. If your life's all about you, it is a vapor that will be vanish like passing smoke. It is our connection to generations that enables us to really contribute to the macro story as we lay hold of the hand of those ahead of us and reach back to those behind us. Think generationally. Fifth way not to be a fool. Create respectfully and fight constructively. Create, respective, re, create respectfully. You're a creator. Good for you. You should. But you're always working with an inheritance. People have created before you. You're in a sort of guild of creators. People have, gone, have walked this road before. And it's a strange thing. If you won't acknowledge and listen to the inheritance, then you're actually not free to create. Do you know why you're not free to create? I don't want to listen to the inheritance. I want to be free to create. The problem is if you don't listen to the inheritance, you're not free to create because that inheritance, no matter how flawed it might be, that is what, as you study it, will enable you to have enough knowledge and experience to know what the possibilities are. But you don't know what those possibilities are if you don't listen to the inheritance, and so you're not actually free to create. And fight constructively. Sometimes you've got to fight against things, a social order, a way things have been done. Maybe the inheritance has been oppression and injustice. But if you're going to fight, fight constructively. If you've not only got to change, but even oppose an existing order, just be careful you don't destroy what's good in opposing what is evil. Sixth way, not to be a fool. Suspect yourself and welcome correction. Suspect yourself and welcome correction. Why does correction sting? 
Well, it's either pride or insecurity, but those are two sides of the same coin. You're too proud to receive the correction or you're too insecure to receive it, but they're two sides of the same coin because both pride and, and insecurity think of yourself in terms of success or failure. Oh, I was corrected. They're saying I'm a failure, and you take it personally, and then you either react out of pride or insecurity. There's another whole mindset. We've talked about this before in Bible school. There's this idea that that's the idea of the success and failure mindset. Away with that. Let's have a growth mindset, as Carol Dweck calls it, because a growth mindset has an an appropriate self-assessment. And Ben has to look at himself and realize, you know what? As God's creature, I was made to grow. And as a sinner, I need to change. That's the reality. God made me to grow, and I need to change. And I cannot do either of those things alone. So every time somebody corrects me, I have a chance to grow. Every time somebody commends me, I have a chance to grow. So I can ignore how a correction was said. How dare you speak to me that way? I don't, it doesn't really matter. I want to grow, and so I receive what was said, regardless of how it was said. Suspect yourself and welcome correction. And the final way not to be a fool, right there at the very last text, learn to identify fools, plural, because there's different kinds, and respond to them appropriately. Learn to identify fools and respond appropriately. Answer a fool according to his folly, because sometimes God will use you to rattle that fool's self-confidence for his good. Don't answer a fool according to his folly, or you'll become like him. Many times, the best way to respond to a fool is don't. Don't give the satisfaction of the fight. If you just need to set this fool straight, you're already mirroring his prideful folly. Learn to identify fools and respond appropriately. And I just want to close with this text from the Apostle Paul that I hope will make more sense to you now that you've heard what we've heard today. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly to God, for it's written he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, beloved, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Amen. Make us wise, Lord, with the wisdom of Christ. In him we pray. Amen.